this morning um, as if we have not already experienced a great time with God in worship, in water baptism. We get to experience God in His Word this morning. And so we started a series last week. Um, it was entitled Conversations with God. And so it's basically talking, we're talking basically about having conversation and dialogue with God. Um, and actually, it, you would commonly hear it referred to as prayer. And it is praying. But in order to communicate a, a simplified approach to this, we're talking about it in the context of a conversation. Because the reality is, that's what prayer is. It's I'm communicating to God and God's going to communicate back. He's going to speak to me. And so today, I, I had mentioned it last week uh, pretty briefly in our message, and today I decided I wanted to uh, expand on the idea of Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. And so we're going to look at a passage of scripture, we're going to break it down, and, and we're going to simplify it so that hopefully you walk out of here equipped to have conversations with God, and you're not one of those, you don't fall into the trap that a lot of people fall into where they find prayer to be a very difficult thing. You know, we're supposed to talk to God, but we don't know, what, what do I say to God? I mean, it, it's God. What do, I, what do I say to him? Why would he even want to hear from me? And we feel a little bit awkward. And um, the, the, the idea is that you engage in this conversation with someone that you get to know on such a deep and intimate personal level that the conversation does not become awkward. You know, I have, I've been married to my wife for a little over 17 years, and and not every moment has been perfect, and not every moment has been filled with tons of grace and, and tons of just wonderful things. We've had some challenges, but her and I can sit down and have a conversation after 17 years and it not be an awkward conversation. And it's because there's an intimate knowledge of one another, and that's why Christ uses the marriage to portray how he wants to get to know you because he desires to know you on an intimate level and desires for you to know him on the same intimate level. And so the goal of this short series that we're doing is to hopefully bring that about in your life and your walk with Christ. And so the question today is how do I pray? You know, I, I understand that I'm supposed to pray. I understand that I'm supposed to be talking to God. I understand I'm supposed to be listening. But how do that? Do I do that? And so we're going to ask um, the expert on the subject, Jesus, how to pray. Because he's going to teach us. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 11, first thing you can find out is that, that Jesus was a man of prayer. He wasn't just a miracle worker. He wasn't just a leader. He wasn't just this great figure. He was a man of prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, verse number one, the Bible says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And so the teaching on prayer comes in Matthew chapter 6. This is Matthew's take on that teaching, that response to the disciples. And so we're going to start first in verse number 5. We're going to set up a little bit of um, a little foundation for this just so you have an understanding of a little bit of even what it's not when it comes to prayer. That way then when we get into the, um, the meat of this message, you'll, you'll have a little bit better understanding. So what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 5, today I am reading out of the NIV version. And the Bible says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. 
Now, that's not to suggest that praying in the church or praying on the corner is not a good thing. It's they love to do it. Why? Because their heart was about being seen by others. I don't know about you, but I've been a part of a couple of prayer services where you can find the person like really pressing into the presence of God and praying, and this is what you see. Eyes winking, everybody looking at, making sure that everybody's looking at them. Because for that person, prayer and, and what they're saying is about being seen. And Jesus goes on to say, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Meaning, whatever they have accumulated from other people as a result of their praying the way they pray, that's the limit of their reward. That's it. The accolades and the praise that you get from those people, that's about all you're going to get for what you've just done. So there is very clearly in Scripture stuff that God does desire from us when it comes to praying. And verse number six, it says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Some versions say, will reward you openly. And so what you do, and that's why I say, when it comes to your faith and your walk with Christ, it's not about what you say, but it's about what you do to the point that when you speak, that, it, that what you're saying is a reflection of who you are and what you actually do because God's going to reward what you do, not what you say. That's why he says those, the, the, the Pharisees were hypocrites. They would stand in the synagogues and on the street corners praying so people could hear them and see them, but not to connect with God. And then he says, verse number seven, and when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So there's a joke in my house when it comes to prayer, and not prayer specifically, but prayer over the, the dinner meal. Um, I have this thought process, and it's really joking um, most of the time. But I say, if there's some, some folks that will pray over their meal, and if they're bombarding heaven with all of life's issues and making powerful intercession over their meal, it's a pretty good chance that's the only time they're praying. Because me, I'm like, Lord Jesus, thank you for the food. All right, let's eat. I ain't trying to spend five minutes praying over my meal. I'm thankful for my meal, but my intercession, my prayer time, my, my conversation with God is more important outside of the dinner table. The dinner table is really my opportunity just to say, God, thank you for my food. Can you take this fried chicken I'm about to eat and make it blessing to the nourishment of our bodies? That's a funny prayer I hear people pray. I pray it too. God, help this food to be a nourishment for my body as I'm staring at three and a half pounds of grease. Somehow will you turn this miraculously into a nourishment? I pray it too. I don't, I, it, it's, it's funny. I, I just, it just hit me. Sorry. See, sometimes when I preach, stuff just hits me when, I, when I'm preaching. And some of those things I should say and some of those things I shouldn't say. And unfortunately with me, you're going to get them all. You get to determine whether I should have, should not have said it. But the reality is pagans would go on babbling and babbling because they think they're being heard for all of their words. They can speak so elegantly and they can speak so long and, and they must really have this relationship with God that is powerful because did you hear what he said? I didn't understand what he said, but I heard it and it sounded good. And it's, it's those types of things that Jesus is like, don't, that's not how you pray. Matter of fact, he said, don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Here's what I love about God. He knows what we need before we ever ask him. Now, some people use that as a crutch to say, well, then why do I have to ask him? Because the reality is God wants to hear from his child. He, wants, he, he, gave, he gave you a tongue inside of your mouth 
so that you could speak and so that he could hear you. He, he loves hearing from his children. And so this is what Jesus then says. This is where the teaching comes. Verse number nine. This then is how you should pray. And you've probably heard this, seen this, recited this on some capacity, some level, at some point in time in your life. It says, this is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Beautiful, beautiful, elegant speech and prayer. Beautiful way to speak. But what Jesus was actually doing was teaching, this is how you pray. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to break this down phrase by phrase and learn how to speak and communicate and have conversations with God that hopefully begin to develop an intimacy with him so that there are no awkward moments in your conversations with him. The very first one, we're breaking down that phrase, our Father in heaven. There's two things there that you have to know. And, and for your notes, there's a note sheet that you were given. This is the blanks on there. Have confidence in your relationship with him. Have confidence in your relationship with him. Look at the phrase, our Father in heaven. This, Jesus is saying, hey, when you pray, our Father in heaven, you're praying to your Father in heaven. And there's a confidence in your relationship with him as a father. You know, here's, here's the challenge. So a lot of people feel uncomfortable in this space right here. Maybe they've had a bad relationship with their earthly father. Maybe they've had some challenges when it comes to that relationship with dad. I know I've had many challenges when it comes to the relationship with my dad. Lots of different things have happened and, and struggled in my life when it comes to the, my relationship with my dad. And so sometimes in the early days, that was a little bit of a struggle for me. The, the concept of father was a little bit challenging for me. But there's a confidence that comes when you can stand up and say, my father, and talking about God. That's a confidence that Jesus wants you to have. God wants it to be an intimate relationship with you. We have to have this right view of God in order to really engage in this conversation that he wants us to be engaged in. He loves being called father. Matter of fact, I would suggest biblically it's his favorite term in being used as, a direct, as, a, as it's directed towards him. It's the, it's the Hebrew word Abba. Or it, there, it doesn't get any more intimate than Abba. It's like, here's the, here's the picture reflection. These get me every time. I was watching some last night and they get me every single time when a, when a, when a military soldier is returning from their deployment overseas and their child is completely unaware that dad is in the room or that mom is in the room. Their child is completely unaware that dad is there. And they get me every single time. I watch these in tears just every single time. And so you see the child there. And I remember watched one specifically. It was on a football field. And dad was coming in his BDU uniform. He's, he's coming. His child sees him and literally 360 turn and just takes off screaming and wailing and hollering, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. That's what Abba means. Daddy. That intimate moment when she missed her father in such a way that as she approached him, she would shout, Daddy. 
Or in my house, my, my daughter, when I come in, she'll say, my, my youngest one, hi, Daddy. Oh, it doesn't matter what kind of day I've had. It doesn't matter how difficult it's been. To hear the phrase, Daddy, just sets it right. Just in that moment, just sets it right. That's what Abba is, the most intimate form of the word father that there is. It's like, this is my daddy. God, you are my daddy. Mm, that's just what he wants to hear from you. So when I pray, I, I, will, I, will, I will approach him the same way my children have approached me and say, Daddy, kind of need something today. I kind of need you a little bit. And it's that intimate call. I mean, Jesus even called him daddy. He said, Abba, Father, Daddy God, Daddy Father, the one who, who birthed me, the one who has set me where I'm supposed to be, is an intimate connection. And you need to be confident in the love of the Father as you begin to have communication and conversation with him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says it like this. Let us approach God's throne of, God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive and find grace to help us in our time of need. When he says, let's approach God's throne with confidence, he's literally saying, be sure of who he is. Be sure that he is your father. Be sure that he is daddy when you approach him and have confidence in that. So the question I want you to evaluate today as you think about that thought is, what is your confidence level in your relationship with God? Oftentimes, I believe people don't spend time praying and seeking God because they really aren't very confident of their relationship with God. That there's a, a challenge and a strain and a struggle there that, that they don't even know is there. And it limits the conversation that they can then have with God. So be confident in Him. Be confident in who He is. Number two, the second, let's look at the second phrase there. He says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. So he's already named him. Jesus already named him Abba, Father. Now he's saying, your name, Abba, is so powerful, so holy, so righteous that all I can do is love you and worship you. Hallowed be your name. Holy and righteous be your name. Filled with love and grace and mercy be your name. He called him out. He already said your name is Abba, Father. Now he's saying, hallowed be your name. Let me love you. Let me worship you. The key here is his name. His names are powerful, church. We think, okay, his name is God. And okay, I just told you his name is Abba. But let me tell you, there is so much more to his names and to who he is, Psalm 103, verse the first five verses. I told you last week when I mentioned a little bit of Psalm 103 that this was my favorite psalm. And this is the reason why. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. That means every single thing that's within me. My DNA should stand up to praise God. And he says, praise the Lord, all my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the, na praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Here we go. Here are his benefits. Who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems, you, redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that, you, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Woo-hoo, that's who your father is. 
So let's break that down a little bit. Where he said, forgives all my sin. I'm going to give you some names of God. You can, they're not on your notes, but I, if you flip that page over, there's some blanks. You can write these down. Some of them are going to be, they're not going to be on the screen because this is something I added to my message this morning. In my time of conversation with God, it's something I felt like he said, hey, say this. So right where he says in verse number three, who forgives all your sins, the name of God that is righteousness and sanctifier is Jehovah Sidkenu. Jehovah Sidkenu, if you want to spell it, it's T-S-I-D-K-E-N-U. Jehovah Sidkenu, meaning I am righteousness, I am sanctifier, I am forgiver of all sin. That's who he is. When he says he heals all my disease, he's Jehovah Rapha, my healer. Who do you need God to be? Because he's got a name for who he is. He redeems my life. He's Jehovah Nisi, the banner of victory over the devil. That's who he is. Jehovah Nisi, the banner, my victory. When the Bible says he crowns me, he's Jehovah Shalom. He crowns me with peace. He leads me beside still waters, according to the Psalms. He crowns me. Victors receive crowns. Let me tell you, you know who gets a crown? Winners get a crown. There's no, I'm going to, some of y'all might not like this, but there's no participation ribbon when it comes to this faith. There's victory and only victory. I don't know about you, but I grew up playing sports all my life, and there was no, oh, wow, you get a three-foot-tall trophy because you participated. No, if you got a three-foot-tall trophy, it's because you beat somebody and won. That's victory. There is a real deal victory when it comes to life. There's no participation trophy. There's a crown that God gives you. He crowns you with victory. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's the banner of victory. Victory over what? Over the devil. Man, he satisfies my mouth. Whew. That's, a, that's a big one right there because there's some mouths that are struggling to be satisfied. And he's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. The provider of all things. He satisfies my mouth. And somebody in here just needs to taste and see that the Lord is actually really good. He is good. He satisfies my mouth. And the first two parts, just the first two things that we're talking about. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That can consume your prayer life every day. I don't know who you need him to be this morning. If you need peace, he's Jehovah Shalom. You need provision, he's Jehovah Jireh. You need victory, he's Jehovah Nisi. If you need healing, he's Jehovah Rapha. This is who he is. If you need all of them, then just say, hey, you are the great I am. It encompasses all of it. You are Yahweh God. Man, this is who he is. Study him, know him, know what he does and who he is and who he is to you. Then he goes on in the third phrase. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You be careful with that one. Because now you're saying, God, I want your kingdom to invade my kingdom. And when you do that, there's some things, let me tell you, you can't live in two kingdoms. You can't live straddling the fence in two worlds. God said in, in Revelation, I will spit you out of my mouth. He'd rather you be ice cold than lukewarm. I'll tell you, here's, here's, the, here's the thing. I'll just turn it all over to coffee. I love coffee. I'm a coffee fanatic. I like it two ways. I like it hot or ice cold. If I go to my coffee and it's lukewarm, guess what I do? I spit it out of my mouth. 
Lukewarm coffee is nasty. Throw some ice in it, I can deal with an iced coffee. Get it right off the pot, I can deal with a hot cup. But anything in between is nasty. That's God when it comes to our walk with Christ. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So what do you have to do? You have to pray for his agenda first. Those that are blanks, pray for his agenda first. Your kingdom come, your will be done. He didn't say, come, let my will be done. He didn't say, God, you, you can approach God. Jesus is teaching us to say, okay, God, I need this, 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 and this. Come on and give me, give me, give me. God is not some celestial Santa Claus. It's not who he is. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Pray his agenda first. In any relationship, it should begin with your before me. It should begin with you before it does me. Anybody ever been a part of a relationship that's all one-sided? It's all about them, all about what they need, what they want, what they desire, what they have, what they have to offer. Every, any relationship that is successful is your. And Jesus modeled that when he said you should be putting others' needs above your own. So when he says your kingdom come, your will be done, that literally means, Jesus, what you got going on up there in heaven, I want some of that down here on earth. But when you do that, there's some stuff in you that got to go. You got to pray like he doesn't know what's going on. That's the problem. You think, oh, well, God knows everything anyway, so I can just say, hey, God, yeah, this is what I need from you. Like, no, I'll tell you what, when you, when you are in trouble... And you need God to show up as victory. You need Jehovah Nisi in your life. You better start storming the gates of hell and start challenging the devil and start shouting out to God of what you actually need. Otherwise, you have this eh, humdrum mentality and, and, and attitude towards prayer. Then you get a humdrum response. But his agenda over yours. His prayer first. His, what is his prayer list? His prayer list, he came to what? Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was what? Lost. So what's God's agenda to prayer? Lost folks. What are lost folks? Anyone without a relationship with Jesus. Now, they may not necessarily feel like they're lost, but when it comes to God and relationship with Christ, they, 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 they're a little lost. That's the agenda. Pray for those folks. Pray for those that are in need of Christ. That's his agenda over yours. Here's what will happen. Matthew 6.33 says it like this. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. This is a great relationship pr principle. Others before yourself. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Above everything else. Seek the kingdom of God. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. Live righteously. Some of y'all still, still ain't healed because you still ain't living right. Some of y'all still ain't provided for because you're still not living right. That's fact. That's biblical fact. Some of y'all are still struggling financially because you don't obey God in tithing and offering. Some of y'all just can't figure out how to put food on the table because you've not asked God to give you the bread of your life. You've not consistently followed after Christ. You want to know why sometimes our lives are still in turmoil and we're in turmoil with them? It's directly connected to how we live our life. What do we speak? What do we say? How do we live? I know that's not popular preaching, but it's fact. It's biblical truth. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. That's why I can stand here and say, I ain't perfect. I make a whole laundry list of mistakes. And you know what? I'll let you, you I'll, I'll give you five minutes with any person who's been around me for five years, and they'll give you a whole laundry list of mistakes I've made. So I'm not anywhere near perfect. Nowhere near perfect. But I always have everything I need. I can't think of the last time I needed something. 
can't. I can't think of it. Because that's who God is. He's Jehovah Jireh. He makes, he provides me with all things. So when we pray for the kingdom of God to come, this is where you start making intercession for your nation, for your state, for your city, for your leadership, for your church, for your family. You see where we're going here. It's not about you. It's all about him. Because when you make it about him, he has this, just this way of making it about you. It's what he does. He's a good father. Mm. So what do I pray for? You need, need some information? Everything that you can ever, ever want to pray can be found in the Bible. So what do I pray for? When he said, he told us, on earth as it is in heaven. What is, so if, here's the thing. Here's the way my mind works. If Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it would stand a reason that I probably should learn what heaven looks like. What's going on up in heaven that Jesus says is so important that it should be going on down here? Well, let me just give you a few things. Revelation 21, verses, the first four verses says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was gone also. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. Here we go. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Here he said, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That's what heaven looks like. A little bit of that would be nice here. Or you can look at uh, in Revelation where it says that when he said, I saw, John says, I saw among the vast people, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, standing unified together, doing what? Worshiping God. That's heaven. You want heaven? Don't be praying, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you do not want heaven, you don't want your church or your house or your job or your life to look like heaven. Because here's what it looks like. It looks like this room. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, every ethnicity in this place, every socioeconomic background, every religious background. There is diversity in heaven. Please don't be colorblind and say, oh, I don't see color. That is such a lie. That's the devil trying to convince you that you're more righteous than you are. Because God, John said, I see and I saw every nation. The word nation is the Greek word ethnos, where we get ethnicity from. If John saw it, guess what you're going to see? Don't be colorblind. Embrace one another. Embrace the differences. We are not that different. Maya Angelou had one of the greatest poems I ever heard in my life. She says, we're our differences, we're not so different. We're all more alike than we are unalike. But we divide over what we're unalike. I don't like that worship style. I don't like that skin color. I don't like that food. I don't like this. I don't, and that's like, that's why, you want to know why I pray the way I pray? Because I don't want my preference to be in this place. I want God's preference to be in this place. And I want you to think that way as well. Because that's what heaven looks like. You should pray it for your own life too. Luke, Luke, Luke even said in chapter 22, verse 42, he said, yet not my will, but yours be done. If we make his will our priority, he makes our needs his miracle. We make his, his, his will our priority. Our needs become his miracle and his provision. That's what he does. 
Number four, give us our daily, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. What is the, what is the thought there? Depend on him for everything you need. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. Depend on him for everything you need. If you're depending on him for everything that you need, then you know that when you need, when you need bills paid, he's there. When you need food, he's there. When you need healing, he's there. When you need victory, he's there. And don't forget where it came from. Woo! Let me stop there for just a second. It's not even in my notes. Make sure I don't get too far off on tangent. Here's what happens. Salvation comes in and changes someone's heart and changes someone's life and they radically turn their life upside down. They start praising God and it's like, yes, I'm living like I'm making these decisions. I'm getting baptized in water and yeah, it's all good. And then fast forward a year, two years, three years, five years, ten years, we get we on this journey called sanctification and here's what's happened. We got saved and stuck up. We forgot who we are and where we came from. People ask me, why are you so real when you preach? Because I remember where I came from. And this is who I am. And why do I know that? Because I, at one time in my life, was so sanctified, I was stuck up. I would look at folks and say, oh, you don't look like me, so you're wrong. You ain't praising like me, so that's not praise. You ain't worshiping like me, that's not worship. Oh, you at the club last night, now you're playing drums? Mm. No, no, no. You're lukewarm. God's spitting you out of your mouth. That's, that's who I was. That's who I was. And then I had this moment. It's amazing. Here's what happens. It's amazing how much grace you how much grace changes your life when you need it in your life. And I'm walking with Christ and things are good. All of a sudden I had this big gigantic tumble and fall, and all of a sudden I needed a lot of grace in my life. And there was folks there to give me grace. And some of them were the very folks that I wouldn't give grace to. Man, depend on him for everything. Understand who you are, where you came from. So when God does bless you, and now, we, now you want to hold so tightly to what he gave you, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. That's the way he operates. You got to, dependence on him for everything is what you need. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said in verse number 11, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? Everything you say, if you say, give me, give me, give me, like he's some celestial Santa Claus, you're not going to see him move the way he could move if you are following after him and you're depending on him. Because here's the promise, Philippians 4.19, and this same God who takes care of me, will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ. That's the promise. And he said the pro all promises from God are yes and amen. So I can stand on the fact that the same God who created everything, the same God who sent his son, the same God who created me, the same God who knew me, who takes care of me, will supply all of your needs. I can say that to you and all of my needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ. I can declare that, and I can speak that into my own life, because it's his promise. Number five, the fifth phrase I want to look at for a couple minutes as I race to the finish line here. It says, forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. Here we go. This is, this, the next two is going to be some challenge. Forgive us our debts as we forget our 
to forgive our debtors. There's two parts here. The first part is very simple. Get your heart right with God. Forgive me, God. That's easy. In the context of this passage of scripture, that's pretty easy. God, forgive me of my debt. God, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for this. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. But the second part of that is, I got to forgive my brother. I've got to forgive my sister. I can't hold on to that. Because here's, here's what we actually do. Here's, here's what we actually do. It, 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 and people were honest and real. This is how they would really pray. Lord, forgive me to the degree in which I'm willing to forgive someone else. That's all you get. That's all you get. You need the Bible. You need the truth, you need the truth in the word. Here's what you know. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Part one, done. It's the promise. Confess your sins to him. Here's part two. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly God, Father will forgive you. Look at that. If you forgive those, you will be forgiven. You cannot walk around sanctified, following after Christ with unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody. You can't. They don't exist together. Now, here's the reality. God knows that it's not always instantaneous forgiveness for someone who's hurt you. There is a journey that you take when it comes to forgiveness. But if you're not even on the road, if you refuse to even get out the car and walk the path, I'd, I'd question whether or not you truly have been forgiven by God. And only because it's what his word says. If you don't forgive others, I will not forgive you is what he said. Can't walk around with unforgiveness. And now here's the other thing. Don't throw your hands up saying, oh, that's it. I'll never forgive this person. So I'm, that, uh, that's it. I can't be with Jesus. That's not the point of it. The point is having a reali- realistic understanding that apart from God, you can accomplish nothing. In order to be forgiven by God, you need to forgive those in your life. Dad wasn't there. He's there now. Forgive him. That's it. That's it. That's rubber meets the road faith right there. That's all we need to preach. Forgive others. Jesus said, this is how you pray. And that's what you do. God, help me to forgive this person. Help me to forgive my dad. Help me for, to forgive my sister. Help me to forgive my brother. Help me to forgive whoever it was that offended me and, 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 and caused problems for me. Help me to forgive them. Help me forgive the person who abused me physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually. Help me to forgive the person who has abused me. Man, that's, I tell you what, you get to that place, it's power. It's power. The sixth phrase says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I got to explain this one a little bit because it sounds a little bit off. Because why would God lead us into temptation? Why would God lead us into temptation? Jesus said, and do not lead us into temptation. So why would God lead us into temptation? It seems to contradict other passages that teach us that God cannot tempt us. So here's, here's how the actual, the, the, the original language, the Greek translation of this phrase should read. Do not allow us to be led into temptation. 
Do not allow us. See, God doesn't lead us into temptation. But he will allow the devil to tempt you. He will not himself lead you. But he will allow the devil to tempt you. But he will prevent you from falling. That's his word. There is no such, there is no sin. There's no temptation. There is no sin that surrounds you that he does not give you an escape from. In the moment, not after it's done, in the moment, you will not be tempted beyond your ability to escape from temptation. That's, no, that, that phrase has been used wrong in, Christ, in Christianity for too long. People say, oh, well, God will never send you anything that you cannot handle. That's a lie because everything will come your way that you cannot handle. That is a lie. But he will never allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to escape that temptation. That's the truth. So when temptation comes, look for the way out. There's a big red one right there. There's a big red one right there. I know that if there's a problem in this building, I got two ways to go. When you are facing the devil, when he is struggling and he is coming against you and he's pressing you from all sides, there's always a couple ways to go. Always. And that's what I love about God. God's not just like, oh, there's one exit and you're stuck back here and the exit's a mile that way. For y'all back there, there's your exit. For me, I'm right out the door. I'll run out this door and be gone. I'll tell you a quick story. I'm going to try to hurry because I'm going to tell you a quick story. I, and I've, I've shared this with some of you before, but I was meeting with a pastor friend of mine, and we were having this cup of coffee, and he was speaking life into me, and I was speaking life into him. And we had this great relationship. He's a wonderful man. He's preached here before. And we're sitting there having conversation. Our conversation ends. He leaves. In the midst of this time here, in walks this beautiful woman, and she sat one table behind him facing me, but I didn't see him, see her because I was focused on him and our conversation. He gets up, he leaves. I get up, go to the bathroom, pull out my laptop, do all the thing. I'm getting ready to do some work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into the Word of God. I'm going to study. I'm going to have my coffee. I'm going to do what I do. I look up. There she is. I'm like, whoa. Look back down. Look back up. Nope. Look back down. Stay here. Stay here. My phone rings. It's my friend. This is what he says. Just want to let you know. The young woman that's in front of your eyes, she was sent by the devil to tempt you. So you know what I did? Uh-uh. Not today. Out the door I went. There's always a way out in every temptation that faces your life. It's just whether or not you choose the exit door or hold up. Let me step into this because you know what? After all, if it looks good, it can't be that bad. That's a lie. God does not lead us into temptation, but he prevents us from falling. Sixth part of that, I said all that to say this, that the blank for that passage, confront the enemy. He's going to give you ways out. Flee the enemy, resist the enemy, and he'll do what? He'll flee from you. But there are some times that you need to confront the enemy. And your conversation with God is a very safe place to confront the enemy. And so our conversation turns into what I will call some spiritual warfare. If you think that's just Pentecostal mumbo-jumbo jargon, then you are going to be caught up in a battle that you will lose. 
Because there is real spiritual warfare being done on this earth today. And so prayer is this conversation with God and a confrontation with the devil. This is a great opportunity when faced with the devil who constantly wants to remind you of your past to do a real quick thing and remind him of his future. See, that's what we forget to do. God, the, the devil is like, oh, but you were this and you were that and you were this and you were that and you were this and you were that. Notice the key word, you were. You no longer are. And when that devil comes at me like that, I'm like, you know, listen, if I read this correctly, let me flip all the way to the back of the book here for a second. So, oh yeah, that's right, you lose. Dude, the fight is fixed. You lose, You're, you've got nothing left, bro. You can come on at me, come on, keep coming at me. There's nothing for you. I got nothing for you, I got nothing for you, devil, because yeah, there you are. You're gonna be thrown and you're gonna be destroyed and you've got nothing for me. So you lose. Do I, and I have these conversations, say, do I need to remind you of your future? You keep trying to trip me up on my past, but it's not who I am today. Let me help you remember who you are in the future. That's confrontation with the enemy. Here's a great picture of prayer. If you don't believe the spiritual warfare is very real, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 12, he says, a final word from Paul to the church in Ephesus. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Stop trying to do it on your own. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting. Oh, wait a minute. There's spiritual warfare in this world? For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world. Wait a minute. I'm fighting against things that are unseen? Yes, you are. He goes on to say, against mighty powers and in this dark world and against evil spirits in the where? Heavenly places. There is spiritual warfare going on and his devil is after your life and your soul. Sometimes you got to stand and confront him and remember, remind him of who he is and where he's going. Because the devil, he is a liar. He is going to lose. The fight is fixed. It's a fixed fight. He's going to lose. Last one is this. John, if you can come and get yourself set, we're finished. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. See, I, I got to do some study, some more study on this, this phrase because for some reason, in some context and in some texts, it's removed from the Bible. And I don't know if that's because it was added and it didn't belong there, if it really needed to be there, but I'm going to preach it anyway because the idea is that this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. His kingdom, his power his glory will last forever. Let me, let me say that again. His kingdom, his glory, his power will last forever. Prayer is powerful. Conversations with God are powerful. But it does not work unless you have faith. Unless you unlock faith. Faith is what makes prayer work. Conversations with God only work because you have faith. It's not, it doesn't work just because I have a conversation with you. Because here's the reality. I can walk up to my friend Christian and say, Christian, man, you are awesome. I love hanging out with you. We get to go out and have some dinner. We're cool. We have a good conversation. Bro, can I have a million bucks? He laughed at me. He laughed at me. Just because we have conversation, just because we're in relationship, doesn't necessarily mean that I get what I need from him. It only works if I have faith. 
And that only faith only works because I can understand who God is and the promises of God. And he said he will give me everything that I need so I can have faith and believe that he's going to give me everything that I need. He said he would heal me so I can have faith and believe that I heal. Christian never said anything about giving me a million dollars. So there's, I got no faith in that statement. It doesn't work. You cannot even acknowledge the kingdom of God and his power and his glory without faith. What is faith? Faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of what is unseen. I am faith. Why am I faith? Because there was a time in my life that I was running away from God. I was strung out drinking, partying, getting high. I was doing everything I could possibly do to avoid heaven. That was my normal everyday path. I'd wake up in the morning figuring out how can I avoid heaven? Not consciously, that's subconscious. That's the devil's pounding in my, in my mind. And look at me today. I preach the gospel. Somebody along the road believed that was possible. And they had faith to trust God that this could happen in my life. And now guess what? I have faith to trust God that this could happen in my life. Why? Because it's now stuff I can see. But I could never see it until I first believed it. As a matter of fact, the first time someone told me that I would preach, I laughed at them, said, ha, you lost your mind. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of what is unseen. Here's another definition. Faith is an expression of the heart that has absolute assurance in the complete triumph of God in his time. You have to resolve this. I'm going to resolve this in your heart right now, right this second. Use, let me just tell you, when you speak to God and you have these conversations with God and you're pouring your heart out to God and you're seeking his kingdom first and everything is in line, but yet you're not seeing God move how you think he should or how you need him to, we're going to handle that a little bit more in depth next week when we talk about when heaven is silent. But for today, resolve this in your heart. What you need never comes when you think you need it. Never does it come how you think you need it. Never. It never comes when and it never comes how. Please just resolve that in your heart right now. Just throw it out. God, I need you to move like this right now. God's like, nah, I don't need to move right now. I mean, that's illustrated even with Jesus. Jesus walking with his disciples knows his friend Lazarus is dead. Knows he's dead. Intentionally waited. Intentionally waited three days before visiting him. Now there's a whole deep theological thing there. The customary thing of the Jews was if after three days, the spirit left them and he was gone forever. So Jesus waited, intentionally waited. Why? So that when he did step on the scene and say, okay, Lazarus, get up. I'll get out of those wrappings. Unwrap him, please, because he ain't dead no more. That's the God that you serve. He shows up when he shows up. When he says you need him to show up. Not when you say it. Because let me tell you something. The distance between when you need it and when he shows up is where you grow. The distance is where he sh you need it and he shows up is where you become filled with faith. That's it. 
That's the distance, and it doesn't matter. For some people, it's a great distance. For other people, it's just a few hours, but that's the distance. That distance between when you desperately need him and when he says, I'm showing up, is where you're going to grow the most in your faith. That's the fact. And again, why can I have this faith? Go back to scripture, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. It's the Bible. Folks, it's in the word. It's written plain as day, sometimes even in red when Jesus said it himself. He said that if I, he knows, he loves when I ask him for things that please him. There's a kit, there's a catch. Did you catch the catch in the middle of that? When you ask him for stuff that pleases him. Not when you ask him for stuff that pleases you. When you ask you for something that pleases him.